0: You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you. It's time for Herd Mentality, the podcast episode each week where you take control of our discussion by sending in questions, comments, takes, whatever you have regarding the Bills, and I address them here on the podcast. Now, let me say this right off the bat. I got a lot, a lot of great talking points that were sent into me, and I'm not going to be able to get to all of them today. So what I did is I tried to condense a lot of them, group together, questions that were similar and prioritize the stuff that seemed to be popular among the fan base. Again, a lot of great stuff was sent in. I love it all. I wish I could sit here and answer every single question, but that's just not possible here on the podcast. And so we tried to prioritize the best we could. And I just want to say right off the bat that I'm sorry that I won't be able to get to everyone. And it bothers me that I can't because I truly do value that you guys have questions for me and you want my opinions and It's something that I definitely think a lot about when I answer questions, and it's difficult when I can't get to all of them, but I have to be realistic about what I can do, and uh, we had to condense it a bit. But let's get going. Let's not waste any more time. The first one today comes from Harry, who says, I'm wondering if you see anything schematically from the first two games that is preventing Josh Allen from escaping to his right to make plays. Outside of the digs' touchdown play, it seemed Josh was forced left all game. Also, worst performance, Matt Millen on the broadcast Sunday or Matt Millen as GM of the 0-16 Lions? So, yeah, you know, look, Matt Millen, not great. Not great at analyzing football games. I can do without him for sure. He's right up there in the uh, Dan Fouts category of bad color commentators. So what I want to do here with this question from Harry, and it's very similar to dozens of questions that I received regarding Josh Allen. He's the hot topic discussion amongst Bills Mafia. And so what I want to do right here at the beginning is talk about Josh Allen, the struggles that he's having, compare some data to last year, and see if we can figure out what is contributing to a slow start to the season for Josh Allen, and then we'll work into the questions that I've been asked about my panic level and concern level and those types of things. So let's get to the data first. And then we'll talk about the emotional piece of that, uh, which is you know pretty much a large percentage of what I was asked this week. So let's start with a few comments that Josh Allen made after the game. Two things really stood out to me. He said, I need to find a rhythm early on. Said that a couple times in his post-game press conference. Needs to find a rhythm early on. Then later on in the presser, he said, I need to come off my first read quicker, and force them to cover everyone on the field. And I think those are both very valid things. When you go back to the Pittsburgh game, Josh Allen missed those deep shots early on. And I've said this several times. I thought he chased it the rest of the game. And he did not take advantage of the answers that Brian Dable baked into the passing concepts that came at the expense of protection for him to, distribute the football to other weapons. He wanted those big plays. He wanted those chunk plays. Instead, he needed to just take profits. Then he said, I need to come off my first read quicker and force them to cover everyone on the field. What did we talk about yesterday in the game recap when I talked about things I didn't like and we talked about Josh Allen? And I said, this was the type of game where the ancillary pass catchers needed to be more involved. If you didn't want to go after Byron Jones and Xavier Howard on the outside. Okay, fine. That's why you have Cole Beasley and Dawson Knox and Jake Kumaro and Isaiah McKenzie and Gabriel Davis and the running backs. Those ancillary weapons outside of Diggs and Sanders, they needed to be a bigger factor. And I think it was an example of Josh Allen not being more willing to come off of those reads, work his progressions, and make different decisions with the football. Now, it sounded like there was some game plan adjustments and some plays that were added late on Saturday, and Josh Allen alluded to a lack of comfort with some of the plays that were called in the first half, and that in the second half, the receivers and him were a little bit more comfortable with the plays that were called. Like Those were definitely things that Josh Allen said in his press conference yesterday. And so, before we talk about the data, let's look at those comments and reflect on what you can extrapolate from them that gives you clues as to why Josh Allen hasn't played to the level we expect him to so far this season. So with that out of the way, let's talk about some data. I want to compare 2020 to 2021 and talk about some of these differences. And I've got several different categories where you can measure it statistically to give you an idea of some of those differences from last year to this year. Let's start with time to throw. In 2020, Josh Allen got the football out of his hands on average in 3.04 seconds. This year, he's getting it out in 2.79 seconds. So he's throwing the football a little bit quicker this year than he did last year, which I think speaks to something that many people have brought up to me, and that is that the off-script plays, they're not nearly as frequent right now as we saw in the past. Josh Allen rolling to his right, getting outside the pocket, extending plays, and making throws on the run. So we're seeing less of that. And we know, we know good things happen when Josh Allen gets outside the pocket. So number one, you're seeing less of that. Next up, play action percentage. In 2020, 33.4% of Josh Allen's passing attempts were play action. This year, 283 a dip in 5.1%. Josh Allen's very good at play-action passes, and so far this year, he's doing it less by 5%. And I've got several more data points to get to, but what I want you to do is take inventory of the things that I'm saying and realize that a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there, it all adds up to a lot. So when I say things like, Josh Allen's time to throw is down 0.25 seconds this year, And that means less off script throws, it adds up. When I say that right now, play action percentage is down 5%, and he's good at play action passes, that adds up. So while none of these numbers may seem stark to you, understand that if you add them all up, it means a lot. The next data point screen percentage. In 2020, the Bills threw a screen pass on 11% of their passing attempts. In 2021, 5.4%. A reduction of 5.6%. Screen plays are productive plays for Josh Allen and the offense. Deep throw percentage. Throws 20 yards or more down the field. In 2020, it was 12.6% for Josh Allen. So far this year, it's 15.5%. So an increase of basically 3% on deep throws down the field, and they're less consistent throws for Every quarterback, right? I'm not talking about deep ball placement issues. Every single quarterback has less success and efficiency throwing the football down the field. The reward is when you make those throws and you do connect with a target. It means a lot for your offense, but it's a less efficient play. So deep throw percentage is up 3%. Pressure percentage. Josh Allen in 2020 faced pressure on 36.5% of his dropbacks. So far this year, it's 40.2%, an increase of 3.7%. And as I tell you every single week on this podcast, quarterbacks under pressure do not perform as well as when they're kept clean. It's very obvious. So you have more pressure. The blitz percentage, this is a big one. In 2020, Josh Allen was blitzed 37.8% of the time. In 2021, 20.7% a decrease in 17.1%. So less blitzes. That means more defenders in coverage. But what I just tell you, pressure percentage is up 4%. So Josh Allen is facing more pressure, but with less pass rushers. Flooding coverage zones, not as much space to work the football. That plays into the screen game as well. You can't get the screen game going if they're not blitzing. The next one, how about this one, RPO percentage. In 2020, Josh Allen had an RPO percentage of 28% of his dropbacks. So far this year, 9.5%, a decrease in 18.5%. Again, RPOs, good plays for the offense, very productive. They're not doing that nearly as frequently so far this season. So you can look at all these different categories and see where the give and take is and how that negatively impacts Josh Allen's efficiency throwing the football. Here's another one that we have to factor in. Emmanuel Sanders. 17% of Josh Allen's passing attempts right now have been targeted to Emmanuel Sanders. He has 14 targets, 6 catches. That is a very poor catch percentage on targets. So you're working in this weapon in Emmanuel Sanders that Josh Allen is not quite comfortable throwing to yet at this point. And so that impacts his efficiency. So you add all this up and Josh Allen is not off to the start to the season we hoped it would. Now let's get into some other things that aren't really measurable, but they certainly play a part. The crowd thing, right? Everybody wants to talk about people in the stands and how that impacts Josh Allen. Now, I'm not willing to say at this point that I buy into it as a majority factor in the reason Josh Allen's not playing well. But I am willing to say perhaps it plays a part. Another thing that you add to the equation. How about the weight of the contract? This guy just got paid more guaranteed money than any other football player in the history of the NFL. He wants to live up to that expectation. He doesn't want to let anyone down. And so he's out there probably trying to chase some big numbers. You can tell that he is based on the decisions that he's making with the football and the decisions that he's not making. So add that to the equation. The bottom line is that there are several contributing factors that are playing a part into why Josh Allen is not performing to expectations through two games. Add it all up, getting the ball out quicker, less play action, less screens, more deep throws, more pressure, less blitzes, less RPOs, factoring in Emmanuel Sanders, crowds, the weight of the contract, expectations, wanting the numbers to be great. Josh Allen's chasing it right now, and he's not in rhythm and he's not working his progressions like he needs to. Add it all up. And I think when you look at it through that lens and you're willing to accept that it's not just one thing and that it's a number of things working together that contributes to it, it makes a lot more sense. So that's where I'm at with Josh Allen the differences from this year to last year and why the numbers and efficiency aren't where we want them to be so far. So let's move on with some more Josh Allen talking points. This is going to get into more of the emotional piece of it. John and Alex both had a question about uh, whether or not I was worried. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 is not worried at all. 10 is immensely concerned. How worried are you that Josh Allen that we saw in 2020 was a mirage? 2? 2? I'm not willing to come close to pushing a panic button at all. We've seen this guy play NFL football at an elite level for an entire season. I'm not willing to dismiss that because of all the contributing factors that we just talked about. Oh, by the way, the Dolphins and Steelers have good defenses that know the Bills well, common opponents, good defensive personnel on both teams that present different challenges. So, no, I'm, I'm not willing to completely say I'm not worried at all, but I'm not willing to go higher than a two. The next one comes from Mark, a question very similar to one sent in by Alex. Mark says, my herd mentality question is about Josh Allen. So far this season, he hasn't been what was expected, and I thought it was really noticeable yesterday. The ball was coming out funky. It didn't have the classic JA-17 zip to it. Have you noticed anything different about his mechanics that could be causing this? Is it possible that there is some sort of injury or he's got the yips due to all the pressure, literal and figurative from last week? Yeah, I would agree with you that it doesn't feel like the ball spinning, like we're accustomed to seeing it from Josh Allen. But when you add up the stuff that we talked about already here, it all leads to a lack of comfort. And when you're not comfortable and you're not playing within your normal speed and ability, things are going to be off. Your ball placement's going to be off. The ball's not going to come off your hand consistently when you're not in rhythm. When you're chasing certain plays, when you're chasing targets to Diggs and Sanders and not willing to go to your ancillary weapons, the ball's going to come out funky from time to time. So I think that's, A result of all these contributing factors working together to lead to some irregularity. The next one comes from Bob who says, Josh looked so good in preseason. Most reporters noted that the ball hardly touched the ground during practice. He has struggled during the first two games of the season. He does not look confident and he is missing on throws. Do you feel that is more a result of facing an excellent defensive front in the first game and an excellent secondary in the second game? Or do you see something else at play? I want to be calm and trust that he's due for a breakout game, but I'm not sure that's going to come against Washington and their strong defense. Can you talk me down off the ledge? Well, Bob, I I know you've probably heard all the stuff I've said to this point, so hopefully that makes you feel better because everything we talked about is correctable. But yes, I do think it's worth bringing up again the two opponents and the challenges that they presented and their familiarity with the Bills and... Reiterating that is a contributing factor. And yeah, Washington's got some amazing defensive personnel. I think top to bottom defensively, it's the most talented defense the Bills have faced yet. Now, they're not playing well together. We saw that against the Giants on Thursday night. They're not playing well together at all. But from a talent perspective, they've, they've got as good a defensive personnel as anyone in the league. So we'll talk about that more tomorrow in the comprehensive primer, but... We need to see it, right? Like, Josh Allen is capable of going out and having an amazing game against anyone. Washington, defensively, they're reeling right now, and they know that they're more talented and a better defensive group than what they've put on tape so far. So they're anxious to go out and play well. Should be fun. Should be fun to see how that all uh, unfolds. Chris says, thoughts on Allen saying the coaches added a bunch of plays the day before the game. Why last minute and what type of plays would make sense? Yeah, this surprised me, Chris. I'm sure it did a lot of you. I don't know how common this is. You know, I don't know how frequently coaches on Saturday say, hey, you know what, got some plays we want to add in. Let's see if we can do it. I mean, you would think how dialed in these people are and how many hours they put into game planning and practice that come Saturday they're not thinking about adding new stuff and they're more dialed in on fine-tuning the plan and fine-tuning the execution and what they're going to do. I didn't think Saturday was really a day where you install some new plays. But that was the case this week. Again, I don't know if that's common or not, but it raised an eyebrow for me as well. It's that time of year again and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, and head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 100 welcome bonus. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports—from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so the Josh Allen piece of this podcast is behind us. Let's focus on the other outstanding questions that were sent in. The next one today comes from Justin, who says, Hey, Joe, and happy Tuesday to you. I have two questions for you, but I'll start with this. It's amazing how far we've come with this team that a 35-0 blowout win on a division rival has people complaining. It's funny. Anyway, on to my question. First, we talk a lot about how blitzing, especially the secondary, is a sign of insufficient pass rush. But today we saw Hyde get his first sack as a bill, Trey White got into the action, and then of course Milano and company doing their thing. So my question is, did we send extra men due to inefficient pass rush? Doesn't seem to be the case, seeing how well the line played. Or did they do it because they just wanted to add insult to injury because their line played so well? It's a good question. And honestly, here's what it comes down to. The Buffalo Bills, through their defensive game plan, made it loud and clear that they have no respect for Tua Valoa and the Miami Dolphins passing game. They have no respect for it. They literally teed off, sent pressure from all angles, and said, yeah, we don't, we don't think it's going to matter. We don't think you can beat this. And the same thing happened with Josh Allen. Go back to 2019. That was the big story. Can Josh Allen beat the Blitz, play man coverage, zero high safety, and send the kitchen sink at him? He can't beat it. Well, that's where Tua's at. That's where the Dolphins are at as a passing game. They have to prove that Tua can work progressions and handle pressure, and until then, he's going to get the Blitz. And then once you beat the Blitz, you get what's happening to Josh Allen right now all right, we got to play coverage. We just talked about this, a dip in 17% of blitz rate against Josh Allen so far this year. So it's not a sign of anything that the Bills do and don't have defensively. It's a sign of, hey, we have no respect for Tua as a quarterback. We have no respect for your offense. And we're just going to blitz you until you prove you can beat it. And until they do, that's going to be the case. And this blueprint will be replicated week after week after week after week until Miami proves otherwise. The next one today comes from Carlin, who says, How long do you think the Bills will keep Boogie Basham inactive this season? If not, what kind of matchup do you think it would make the most sense to bring him to be part of based on his skill set? Not to say the Bills looked like they needed him at all this past week. Brilliant game by the defensive line all around. So, I guess, don't think you're going to see much Boogie Basham this season assuming everyone's healthy. I mean, the Bills just had an opportunity this week where they were playing in South Florida in week 2. Mario Addison said it was the hottest game he's ever participated in. And he went to Troy, which is in Alabama. It's not like he played college football in, you know, Michigan or something like that. They had the opportunity to dress him with FA Obada out with a calf injury. And they chose to keep Basham and Obada inactive. So I think you need to see multiple injuries at defensive end for the Bills to dress Basham. And look, that doesn't mean Basham's a bust. We talked about this last year with A.J. Epinesa. He's figuring out his game. And so I think Basham will pay dividends next year more than anything when my expectation is that either or both Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison are no longer on the team. And that's going to be Basham's opportunity to claim some market share with this rotation. So I think with Rousseau and Hughes and Addison and Epinesa all firmly entrenched in this rotation, then you factor in Obata who was inactive as well as Basham. And I think, I think there's a lot that has to align for Basham to see the field. Long season, injuries are part of it. But right now, I don't, I don't think he's part of the mix. The next one comes from Ethan. Also a very similar question sent in by Dominic and Matthew. Ethan said, I noticed that our defensive ends, specifically Rousseau and Hughes, occasionally dropped into coverage against the Dolphins. Was this game plan specific to the Dolphins in an effort to confuse the young quarterback and Tua and eventually a backup in Brissett, or is this something you expect to see the Bills try throughout the year? And more importantly, against Taylor Heineke this upcoming week. So yeah, the Bills dropped Rousseau and Jerry Hughes a little bit into coverage in this game. Let's talk about the frequency. Rousseau dropped into coverage six times on 33 pass-down snaps. He rushed the passer 27 times. He dropped into coverage six times. Jerry Hughes... Dropped into coverage two times, he played 30 snaps on passing downs, rushed the passer 28 times, dropped into coverage twice. So it wasn't a ton, but it was some, and I think it'll be game plan specific. When they want to do some zone blitzes and drop defensive ends and blitz back seven players, you know, you're know you going to see this type of thing happen. It's a pretty normal thing that happens occasionally in the NFL. I don't think you're going to see Russo playing a ton in space. So I think it stood out because it felt like every time that it happened that the Dolphins would complete a pass and you'd see Gregory Rousseau in space trying to make a tackle. But um, I don't think it's going to be a regular part of what he's asked to do, but I think you'll see it sometimes, and it's all part of having a diverse defense that can do a lot of different things. Larry says... I was hoping to hear the PFF grades for the Buffalo Bills offensive line for week two against the Miami Dolphins. All right, I've got the data to share with you. And then as a reminder, a 70 or above is a starter level performance. 60 and above is a backup performance. And below a 59 is replacement level. So they had Deion Dawkins scored at a 66. John Feliciano, 84.3. Mitch Morse, 50.1. Cody Ford, 34.7. And Daryl Williams, 48.3. So a much better job by the left side of the Bills offensive line this week. But obviously, PFF did not think highly of the contributions of Morse, Ford, or Williams. The next one comes from Rocky who says, Just wondering if you could touch upon how many times Dane Jackson was targeted after Levi's departure. I'm sad watching guys like Trayvon Diggs and Dallas and a few others finding their game in different uniforms, and we get stuck with Levi again. All right, so I also received another DM from somebody who said, Joe, you needed to shout out Dane Jackson on the podcast on the Monday recap show, and I didn't, so let's give Dane Jackson his due. He came in and played well once Levi left the game. He was in coverage for 36 passing snaps. He was targeted once. He gave up a completion, I think, for five yards. And he had that big-time tackle, right? It was the fourth down tackle on Malcolm Brown, who's a big running back. Dane Jackson got him down. So Dane Jackson played well. And I thought they both played well. Levi Wallace only gave up one catch as well. And he had a pass breakup and an interception. So good performances from the Bills cornerbacks all around, including Dane Jackson, Levi Wallace, Taron Johnson, and Tredavious White. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto, a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and right in your pocket, Save time and save money when using RockAuto.com. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write "Locked On" in their "How did you hear about us?" box so they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at RockAuto.com. Does this sound familiar? and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. The next one today comes from B Mormon 2020. Very similar to one sent in by Daniel and Derek. B Mormon says, Is Matt Hawk a slow punter? His setup seems slow. And he almost had another blocked punt today. Listen, you guys heard me talk about Matt Hawk and how slow I think he is at getting the ball off. But as far as his blocked punts, this guy's punted the ball 314 times in the NFL. Twice has it been blocked. Once was in week one, and the other time was like two years ago. So this guy has a fair amount of punts in the NFL and not a lot of blocks. So for as slow as it feels, it hasn't cost him that much yet. And look, I mean, Heath Farwell, Sean McDermott, they're aware of this. They see the guy punt. So it's not like we're uncovering any data that nobody's ever seen before. But my goodness, this guy feels like it takes him forever to get the the ball off. I think in one of the emails I received, somebody said it looks like he's had time to eat a sandwich between the time he receives the snap and Gets the punt off, and I don't disagree. B. Mormon had a follow-up. He said, after seeing the taunting call in the Seattle game, this new penalty is looking really bad. It seems to add to the fire of the offending player and energizes a defense. Haven't seen it on offense yet. Any thoughts on what the NFL is thinking here? Dude, this taunting rule is awful. It's absolutely awful. Football is a physical, emotional game. It's a bunch of alpha males competing against each other in a violent sport. It is absolutely crazy to me that in the midst of competing in high-stakes competition with players that are wired a certain way with a lot on the line, that they're not going to get a little bit animated and chirpy. I don't know what to tell you. And honestly, I think it's fun. When Antoine Winfield in the Super Bowl last year put the deuces up, that was fun. Levi Wallace standing over a Dolphins receiver, giving the incomplete sign, that's fun. Who cares? You know who likes this rule? You guys remember Leslie Frazier was asked about this rule over the summer and he said, I like it. You don't have to taunt to play well, and there's no place for that in football. I wonder if he feels differently now. But we knew this was going to happen. As soon as the announcement came through that this rule had passed, and we saw the preseason, we knew it was going to be a bunch of garbage. And that's exactly what we got. The NFL just has so many miscalculations with stuff like this. And this is just the latest example. The next one today comes from Tyler, who says... Was this the most creative game Leslie Frazier has called during his time with the Bills? Also, is Taron Johnson becoming elite? I would say it was one of the most creative games that Frazier called with the Bills because you saw a lot of unique pressure schemes. You saw a lot of amoeba fronts. You saw a willingness uh, to have the corners play up in the face of wide receivers. But I also think that Miami's offense invites this type of a game plan. So... Frazier deserves a lot of credit. Miami's got a lot of work to do on offense. And then on Taron Johnson becoming elite, I mean, this dude's playing well. I think right there with Matt Milano, he's been the best player on the Bills' defense through two games, breaking up passes, making big-time tackles, forcing fumbles. I mean, he is making splash plays, and he is shutting stuff down. Contract year for Taron Johnson. So far, so good. Next one comes from Stan, who says, got a fantasy question for you. I know we don't often cover fantasy on the show, but this is Bills related. Which Bills running back would you rather roster for the rest of the season? Devin seems to be getting the volume and more dynamic usage. However, Moss seems to be getting a bigger and bigger role on goal line situations, which may give him many more scoring opportunities, especially given Josh Allen's current passing struggles. What do you think? Whew. I have no idea. I've been saying Devin Singletary whenever I'm asked about this. Like, I got this question a few times during the offseason, and I said, look, Singletary started all 16 games last year. He's targeted way more frequently in the passing game, and he's got longer time on task and in the system. I thought it would be Singletary. And then week one, I mean, Zach Moss was a healthy and active. Now, that might change after Moss had some really positive contributions, but I don't think you want to really feature either one of them. The touchdown likelihood with Moss is significant. The pass catching and overall volume component with Devin Singletary is significant. If I had to pick, I'd choose Devin Singletary. The next one comes from Earth Rocker who says, if Leslie Frazier gets a head coaching job this offseason, who would be a good stylistic fit for the personnel we have? I'd be willing to bet if that happens, you're going to see an internal promotion. The leading candidate in my mind is John Butler, the defensive backs coach. Eric Washington, the defensive line coach, is very much a possibility. He was the defensive coordinator in Carolina after Sean McDermott got hired away to the Bills and then Steve Wilkes went to Arizona. Washington has experience being a DC in the NFL. And then Bob Babich at linebackers coach. I think one of those three guys gets the promotion with the leading candidate, in my mind, being Butler, then Washington, then Babbage. We'll close the podcast today with Kenny, and Kenny has more of a standalone statement, and I think it's pretty interesting, a good way to close. Kenny says, what a weird 35-0 to shutout. Not going to complain, though. Just a thought. It's very common that on fourth and short, the Bills try to do a hard count to get the defense to jump off. It seems like it does happen quite a bit. However, if it doesn't work initially, defenses usually relax. I thought it was amazing that during the game, this situation occurred. But instead of just taking a timeout or taking the penalty, Josh hiked it with a couple of seconds on the clock and got the first down with a quarterback sneak. I think having this on film is huge for the rest of the year. Defenses can't just assume they're going to hard count because they may actually go through with it. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but I think this play can pay dividends throughout the year with more defenses falling for the hard count. Absolutely. Absolutely, Kenny. And that's just another example of how Sean McDermott thinks of everything and how there's no stone uncovered when it comes to what he puts on film for you to prepare for on a weekly basis. The guy's in the details. And this is the type of minutia that you can always expect to see from Sean McDermott and this football team. I mean, this team literally has the offensive players switch the practice jerseys on a weekly basis based on the color of jersey that they're going to play in on Sunday. There's no detail left uncovered with a Sean McDermott football team. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us today here on the podcast. Thank you so much to everybody who sent in a question. And I know that so many of you did not hear your question answered here on the podcast. I am sorry for that. I can only fit in so many, but I am very, very, very appreciative to everyone who takes the time to ask a question for the podcast. That's going to do it for us here today. Tomorrow, the comprehensive primer of the Washington football team. We're going to break that team down from every angle and talk about the keys for the Bills based on the challenges and opportunities that the Washington football team presents. So it should be a good discussion tomorrow on the podcast. I hope you won't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great Tuesday, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.